brother. Uh, tonight is January 14th. It is 2009. Our message this evening is called the Amadah. Amadah is a Hebrew word that means standing. This is a term for prayer. It's a prayer that occurs every day, has occurred every day since the 6th century BC. It used to have a longer Hebrew name that meant the 18 benedictions, but apparently they added a 19th benediction. And so the name that means 18 benedictions kind of became irrelevant. Uh, it's interesting to note that the 19th benediction was added after the first century in response to all of these crazy followers of Yeshua. <laughs> Orthodox Judaism, after the temple was destroyed, looked for a way to uh, gather what remained and figure out how they were going to remain a people group, how they were going to remain a religion without sacrifice. They fell on the words of the prophets that said, uh, God didn't desire the blood of bulls and goats, but He desired a broken and contrite heart. And they reformed what we now know as Judaism and added a 19th benediction to the Amidah. Uh, seems to specifically target Jewish believers who believed in Yeshua. That's amazing. You wouldn't have to do that today, hardly. Uh, that movement's just now getting going again. But in the first century, Orthodox Judaism started to want to make a split from these crazy followers of the guy from Nazareth. And so they added a 19th benediction. I'm going to share with you some things tonight. We will finish with the Amada. I will uh, take out the added benediction because I want to show you this as Jesus prayed it. And I want to show it to you in a way that relates to prayer that you're used to. And what uh, in South Louisiana we call the Our Father. Everything that Jesus taught is life-giving. There's no question about that. It, it revives the soul. But He did not show up in a vacuum. The first century is a rich milieu of religious thought. And Judaism was thriving. And Jesus taught within that culture. He used elements of that culture because He was of that culture and is the King of it. And it is enlightening to see it in the Word. You want to learn some more? Yeah. Psalm 115. Get there. You already there? Y'all are fast. Fast, fast. Now, I'm not supposed to tell you where I got turned on to this idea, but I happen to be watching... Lord of the Rings. And in Lord of the Rings, they have all of these little kingdoms. And uh, it sounds better if I said I read it, right? But I didn't read it. I watched it. I watched the movie. They have all these kingdoms. And in Rivendale, they got these weird dudes with pointy ears, right? Little elves. In Mordor, they got these uh, weird, nasty-looking gargoyle things. I don't remember what they're called. Uh, and then somewhere in Middle Earth, they say is the realm of men. And as I began to think about that word realm, I started to think about kingdom. And this scripture came to mind. And then after this, I turned on my iPod and there was a preacher preaching about it. And I thought, man, that is good. And they went hand in hand. So in Psalm 115, we're going to start with these verses. Uh, verse 9. O house of Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is your help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear Him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. It's kind of neat. It addresses the whole nation. Address the priesthood. Then address all those stragglers like you God-fearing Gentiles. And includes them as well. Awesome, awesome. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. 
May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by Yahweh, the Maker of heaven and earth. The next verse is where our text comes from tonight. It says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord. You see that heavens is plural? In Hebrew thought, heavens start in the airy realm, this atmosphere. And there's another heaven that is the starry realm. But then in their thought, there is a heaven beyond that. Some refer to as third heaven, although that doesn't actually appear in the Scripture. And that is the place where God alone dwells. The heavens belong to our God. But the earth He has given to man. The heavens all belong to one singular being, the Lord. The earth belongs to mankind. How interesting is that? How do you define a kingdom? I looked this up today in Merriam-Webster's dictionary and I was some kind of blessed. This ties back in with the Lord of the Rings if you're wondering here. A kingdom, the third definition that Merriam-Webster gives, the least complicated definition, the definition that happened to flow the best with my sermon, is a kingdom is a realm in which God's will is fulfilled. How about that? When you're thinking of the term kingdom, you need to think of your realm or sphere of influence. Well, in the heavens is where God's will is always done 100% of the time. This is where His will is filled to the fullest because He's purged everything out of it that doesn't belong there. You understand? But the earth, the earth He gave to mankind. Mankind dwells on the earth and this is our kingdom. It's our sphere of influence. And Hebrew thought the earth was not bad. The earth had some problems, needed some renovating, and God put man upon the earth to rule it. This is our sphere of influence where we are supposed to initialize and bring change. This is the realm of men. With that in mind, turn with me to Acts. Tell me when you are in... Oh, I guess it's about Acts 3. We'll see. Get to the first couple chapters of Acts and then I'll tell you where to go. We're working without a net up here. Yeah, Acts 3. When Jesus began to preach, do you remember what His message was? In most of the Gospels, the first words you will find in red after the temptation is repent, which is teshuba. Turn around, for the kingdom is at hand. This word kingdom is short for kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Different writers recorded it in different ways. And if you think about it according to its definition, it's that God is in the highest heavens. This realm is for men. But His sphere of influence is beginning to stretch out and touch the earth. And this was good news. It was good news because God's will is always obeyed there and now we might have a chance to see it obeyed here. Well, Jews prayed every day. They woke up and the very first prayer that they prayed was the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. This was an affirmation that the Lord is the only God. It's not just an affirmation of monotheism. It is starting your day with an acknowledgement of His Lordship. His kingdom is always obeyed there 
But in my life, right now, I choose for His will to extend to me. His will will be fulfilled in my life. Now we're not going to turn there because we're going to stay in Acts 3. But all of us know that the greatest commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But Mark is the only one that quotes it in this way. When asked that question in the 12th chapter and the 28th verse of Mark, Jesus responded, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then said to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. There is a reason for this. All of the hearers there were praying this on a daily basis. And the very first, the beginning of wisdom, is the acknowledgement that His kingdom is already right and it needs to envelop and encompass ours. It starts with your life. And then He moved on to how we do that. We love Him with all our heart, mind, strength and our neighbor as ourself. And this is like extending God's kingdom. Well, His believers, His followers began to practice this. And Acts is the history book of the church. It's the place where you can see the doctrines of Jesus displayed in the lives of His believers. Wouldn't it be neat if there was a place like that now? That's what we're trying to build. A place where the doctrines of Jesus can be displayed in the lives of His followers. Not talked about. Not memorialized in tablets of stone. Not put in doctrinal statements. Written in the lives of of believers. So what we're going to see in Acts 3 is a profound lesson in the theology, the most basic theology of Judaism and Jesus as He taught it. And there's not going to be a single doctrinal statement in it. You're going to see it in their actions. You ready for Acts 3? Yes. Okay. I should tell you that there's three Jewish prayer services every day. There is great deal of debate uh, about just when that started, but by the time they were in Babylon, for sure Daniel was playing, praying three times a day because he said so. These three prayer services, uh, some traditions say go all the way back to Abraham who instituted one, Isaac who instituted the second, and Jacob who instituted the third. Now it's up to you whether or not you accept that. I don't think it really matters. The point is, in the first century, all Jews were praying three times a day if they were pious. Was Jesus pious? Then He prayed three times a day. Would it surprise you that His followers did as well? Look how this starts. We're at the afternoon prayer service, which is called Mencha. By the way, each prayer service, they pray our title tonight, the Amidah, the standing. They stood, hands held high, and prayed to their God as a community. And the emphasis in the Amidah, I will show you later, but aside from the Amidah, the emphasis of the afternoon prayer service, the Mencha, is gifts and offerings to the poor. So when you get together in the afternoon to pray in Israel, and you pray the Amidah, it's with a special emphasis on the Amidah, plus gifts and offerings to the poor. So we pick up in Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Why didn't he tell you all the things I just told you? Because Jews pray three times a day, blah, 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 all of those things. Why didn't he say it's the menship? Why didn't he go through all of that? Because they did, and the audience recognized it, because this was a Jewish monopolized community of believers. At the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon, that's how we know it's the afternoon service. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful. 
where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Why do you think he was put there at three in the afternoon? He was put there at three in the afternoon because all the people who are going there to pray are going to pray the Amada. Wow, isn't that cool? And then there's an emphasis on gifts and offerings to the poor, right? What better place could you be? I mean, this is like fishing where the fishing is right, okay? He found the honey hole right here. He marked it on his GPS and his boat just goes there. And he's put there because it's an opportune place. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Why did he expect to get something? Because this was the emphasis of Judaism. Gifts to the poor were a big deal. Gifts to the poor were an expression of your faith. The deed did not save you. It showed that you had received grace from God. Your deeds expressed your faith. He was expecting to give something or get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up, or I'm sorry, walk. Now when he says the name of Jesus the Christ of Nazareth, the word for name is Hashem. And it does not mean J-E-S-U-S. It doesn't even mean Y-E-S-U or S-H-U-A. It doesn't mean that. It means the authority, the body of work, the reputation, the very character of. He's saying by the authority, the body of work, and the character of Jesus, who is the Anointed One, the Christ, who came from Nazareth, I am telling you, walk. And an amazing thing happens. The man is obedient. Hmm. And it begins to happen. Now I could preach volumes on just this exchange. But what, what, I, what I want to get to is the cultural setting as to how this happens and why and what you can learn from it. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. I have to digress for just a second without running out of time here. There are times in which we preach the Word and people who have an expectant heart, who want something from God, are there. And you can see it in their eyes. You can begin to see faith that will save. That does not mean that they don't need a helping hand to their feet. Have you ever wanted with all of your heart to change something but just didn't know how? If that weren't true, we wouldn't spend hundreds of millions of dollars on diets and all of the crazy things that we do to change our lives. We are looking sometimes for that helping hand. Every once in a while, we fall somewhere between standing back saying, hey, you better do it yourself, uh, or expecting God to reach down and do it. God has hands and feet. He's not a uh, quadriplegic. Unless, of course, His hands and feet don't obey Him. Peter was willing to give what he did have. And it took some measure of trust, some measure of faith on Peter and John's part to stretch out their hand and jerk this man up off the ground. What happens if the people of God don't do what they're supposed to do? We never see the king's influence, his sphere stretch forward. We never see the kingdom actually at hand. When we say the kingdom is at hand, you need to realize sometimes that is your hand reaching out to someone. You can be not just God's mouthpiece, but His hands and His feet. 
This man is about to come face to face with something. Everybody knows that God dwells in the heavens and that His Word is obeyed there. But on the earth, men, mankind, they rule. This is our realm. What happens when a man who is on the earth is acting on authority of the King of Heaven? When that kingdom has extended, it's made a little offshoot, not just in the third heaven, it's pierced the second heavens where all the warfare is, and it's stretched all the way down right into Charlotte's life. And now through Charlotte's hand, God is reaching His kingdom out to Steve. This is an amazing thing. This is very good news. When God has a means of moving on the earth through His people. When His people expect for the way that He's obeyed there to be obeyed in us so that we can see God's will fulfilled here among men. Watch what happens. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's ankles, feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now, knowing what you know about Peter, can you see Peter giving him more than just a gentle hand up? I bet he snatched him up. If it had been by his hair, he'd be bald-headed. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What is he walking and jumping and praising God for? Is it just that he can walk? I bet he's walking, jumping, praising God because for the first time in his life he's beginning to believe that that kingdom that he's hearing people preached about actually has made it to the earth. It's not just in some faraway place that we will go one day when we die. It is appearing now. It's at hand. It's about to overtake someone and it just overtook him. He just found himself not in the realm of men where we're limited and we can do very little, but he found himself in the realm of God where all things are possible for him who believes. Oh, happy day. Saints, I don't care who you are. When you are touched by that kind of power, the hand of God, it'll make you walk and jump. What's the word for rejoice, saints? It's to leap and spin around. When we say rejoice, when we say praise God, this is the kind. This is the kind of praising. It's when you've been touched by the realm of God. His wills being fulfilled. Now, I've heard it said that God is honored by being solemn and reverent. I dare you, I dare you to get out your Bible and try to prove that point to me. Because what you'll find is when men are touched by the hand of God, they can barely contain themselves. It is like fire shut up in their bones. Now, if that's what it's like in the Bible, you'll have to compare it with the experiences you've seen and see whether or not the kingdom is actually there. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Did the man ever preach? Did he teach? Did he sit down and go over a track with somebody? All he did was experience the power of God and live in it. And they were wild, awed, and in amazement. Did the people not know the Word? Of course they knew it. Where are they right now? They're at the temple learning it. What were they just doing? He caught them on the way in. So if they're seeing Him leaping and jumping, they're all on the way back out. So what were they doing? They're leaving a church service a temple service 
where they had been praying the Amada, where they had been focusing on kindness and gifts to the poor. You ever been disappointed to see somebody pull out of a church parking lot and almost cut you off? Give you a dirty look to beat you into the uh, Luby's line? It's never been any different. We go, we sit, we soak, we hear, we intellectually accept. But how many people expect something to happen? See, where trust begins to really be utilized is when there is a holy expectation that the kingdom that is up there is coming here and it starts in your life. It's not simply when we sit and say, mm, this is true. Mm, very wise. Yes, this is true. It's when we begin to expect something to happen. Now watch. You're going to love Peter. You ever known anybody who was maybe a construction worker? Somebody who was a little bit blue collar? Maybe they had not been as refined as some of the folks that you know. Yeah. And every once in a while in that setting, you'll get something that others might call brash. Right? Mm -hmm. Adam called a friend one time because we were in need of help. If I had called a salesman friend of mine, I might have gotten a very eloquent answer. The answer that Adam got from his friend was a statement that encompassed everything that we needed to do in about four words, but two of them were expletives. <laughs> Sometimes men that work for a living have a way of getting right to the point. Peter worked for a living. Listen to what he says. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel! Now I want you to picture a slightly corpulent fisherman. Been working with his hands most of his life. He's probably calloused. He's probably the oldest of the disciples. Maybe just a little bit burly. And he has as his sidekick a son of Boanerges, A son of thunder. Somebody who was known for splitting heads before he became the apostle of love. These are two men that might get your attention. And when they said, Men of Israel! I bet they all turned and paid attention. And watch what he says. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? What a way to start a conversation. Why would it surprise you, saints? Because this is the realm of men. And we don't normally see men healing other men. That's why we call it supernatural. But Peter starts his conversation with them in a very Jewish way with a question. Every time I have ever been in a conversation with any of the co-workers I have that are Jewish, there's an inordinate number of questions. And I'm never sure whether it was a question or an answer to my question. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? That's almost like saying, are you stupid? Why are you looking at me this way? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified His servant, Jesus. The most amazing thing about this statement is it is the opening stanza of the Amidah. And the second stanza speaks of God's healing and resurrecting power, but specifically His healing of our infirmities. See, they had just come from a church service 
where they had been praying for this very thing to happen. And they're surprised when they see it. Well, that must just be those religious Jews. There are no church people that would be surprised to see God actually do something we talk about, would he? How many times have you seen people say, well, my sister's sick, my brother's sick, my mother's brother's cousin's sister's friend's dog is sick, pray for them. But they don't ever expect you to stop them right then, right there, lay hands on them publicly and pray, do they? And they're caught off guard when you do. Because we're good at talking the things of God. But the good news of the gospel is when the kingdom that is there begins to be represented in your life. When God's sphere of influence starts to happen among you. And they are just now seeing it for the first time. I want to read you a couple of lines, then we're going to move to something else and come back to the Amida. Blessed are you, Lord our God, and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. Sound familiar? The great and mighty and awesome God, God supreme, who extends loving kindness and is master of all, who remembers the gracious deeds of our forefathers, and who will bring the Redeemer with love to their children's children for His name's sake. First lines talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bringing a Redeemer. A king, a helper, a savior, a protector. Blessed are you, Lord, protector of Abraham. Your might is eternal, O Lord, who revives the dead, powerful in saving, who makes the wind to blow and the rain to fall, who sustains the living with loving kindness, who revives the dead with great mercy, who supports the falling, heals the sick, frees the captive, and keeps the faith, the trust, with the dead. Who is like you, Almighty, and who resembles you, O King, who can bring death and also give life? These are the first two lines of the Amadah. What a perfect time. Do you think that God utilized this culture to put a man out there at a specific time when people should be focusing on Him? Had them stand and pray. And by the way, when they pray this, I just read you two stanzas. Between each stanza, all the people stand... They take three steps back, showing that they're retreating from the world and its principles. And then as they speak, blessed be your name, O Lord. They take three steps forward, showing they're entering into the realm where God's will is fulfilled. See, what they were doing in ritual was going on right outside the church building, if you will in practice. Wow. What they were reciting with their mouths inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their lips was going on right outside. And so the big burly craftsman looks right at him and says, Hey stupid! Why does this surprise you? What were you inside just praying for? It's here. And it's in the name, the authority, the body of work, the character of the man from Nazareth, the anointed one of God. You were just asking Yahweh for him. And I'm here telling you about it. Do you think then that it's important that we know something of the culture? Mm -hmm. Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, they already knew how to pray some things. I told you they prayed the Shema every day. They prayed the Amidah during three services each day. All of the Amidah, when we read it, can be broken down in the exact pattern that the Lord's Prayer can. Actually, the way to say it correctly is the Lord's Prayer is an abbreviated form of the Amada. And I want you to catch something. It has to do with God's sphere of influence 
extending to our lives and they called it the kingdom of God here. How poisonous is it then to have a thought that the kingdom of God is only somewhere that you go somewhere else? All the people of God who were entrusted with the covenants of God, the people who were the guardians of His name, were crying for it on a daily basis here and now. I promise I'm not cursing from the pulpit. It's a sermon example. Have you ever heard somebody say, Hey man, why'd you do that? Well, just for the hell of it. Well, y'all all grew up in church. I didn't. So I heard that before, at least once in my life. What are we really saying when we say, just for the hell of it? We mean there was no rhyme, there was no reason, there was no divine purpose in it. I didn't really consider God's will. I just did it. It was a frivolous thing. What do we? How about this one? Man, how was your day at work? A living hell. Man, it was hell on earth. What are you really expressing? It's a place devoid of God's love, His order. Now, it's not true, but we do say that. Yeah. It's devoid of anything that resembles the fulfillment of His will. Well, why is it that we only know how to describe hell on earth? When will the church learn to describe in our actions heaven on earth? See, because the kingdom of heaven is every bit as obtainable as the kingdom of hell here and now. It's when we extend our hand to those who need it in God's behalf because it's not really your hand anymore. He bought you. He owns you. He controls you. If He says, go to Chicago, you go to Chicago. If He says, come from Chicago, you come from Chicago. And it's assumed that when He sends you, it's because He needed you there. And when He says, do it, you say, yes, sir, because your hands are not yours anymore. This is why they stand and raise their hands to pray. Amen. Apparently they hadn't got hold of that southern denomination that says that's just showing off. Amen. Well, Jesus showed off and Paul commanded it be done without wrath or malice. Wow. The kingdom of God is wherever His sphere of influence is. Are you in His sphere of influence or not? Are you extending the kingdom because forceful men extend the kingdom? Are we just sitting back trying to camp in the little bit that we can? Maybe your left cheek is in the kingdom. Your right pinky. I want to swim in the king's influence all of my life. I don't want to have one more day where something was done just for the hell of it. I want it to be done because the king of heaven has commanded it. My life is not my own anymore. What an empowering thought that you are, you are God's kingdom. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when He said the kingdom doesn't appear with your careful observation. It's not something that men say, here it is or there it is. The kingdom is within you. How about that? How do you define its borders? Everywhere you walk, it is. How do you define its members? Only by their actions. Because the king's influence extends to Asians, to Caucasians, to Africans. It extends to anyone who will call on the name of the Lord, your owner and controller. See, you can say it, but if it's true, then you're in the kingdom. This is how Romans 9, 10, and 10 can say when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's that your confession is a true statement. His kingdom 
sphere of influence has enveloped me. He is my Lord. There was a line in this movie that my wife made me watch. <laughs> Jennifer wouldn't watch The Lord of the Rings. A young man named Aragon is in a kingdom called Rohan, and he gives a suggestion to the king. And the king looks at him and said, When last I checked, you were not king of this kingdom. And he ignored it. When we ignore God's commands, we are not so politely telling him, You are not king of this kingdom. When his advice is no longer advice, but it is your very life-sustaining word, then he's king in your kingdom. In fact, your kingdom has been annexed. It's been taken over by him. Come on, saints, that's good stuff. Turn with me to Matthew 11. It's Wednesday night, I don't have long, but I intend to use every minute I do have. Matthew 11. Tell me when you're there. A good friend of Jesus, a cousin of Jesus, who's been set apart from birth, has gone about teaching that everyone needs to repent. They need to get immersed in water because they're dirty. And they need to bring a change in their life. He's announced Jesus as the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He's announced Jesus as an extension of God's kingdom upon the earth. And now this friend of Jesus, this relative of Jesus, the herald of Jesus spoken of as far away as Isaiah 740 years before Jesus is in trouble. And Jesus doesn't run to him. Jesus doesn't even take the time to stop what he's doing. Listen to this answer while John the Baptist is in prison. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, it's the second verse, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. There's nothing wrong with preaching the word. But if people can't see it, then it's just vain, empty words. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What was Jesus' defense of his ministry? The king's influence that is always done in the highest heavens is being done through me on the earth. What you are seeing is the kingdom of God. Well, what about this was troubling to John the Baptist that he had to ask? They wanted the kingdom all at once. They wanted the wolf and the lamb to lie down together. They wanted the children to be able to play with the cobras. They wanted Rome off their back. They wanted the Gentile nation's foot off of their necks and they wanted it now. The mystery was that the kingdom starts with you and what you do each day. So how do we get the Roman's foot off of someone's neck? How do we get our children not sick? How do we get the poor fed? Somebody has to be his hands and his feet. And the kingdom advances through your lives. And it envelops the whole earth. The yeast is supposed to work through the whole loaf. Now, that yeast is not him penetrating your mind, your thoughts, your will and emotion working all the way through you. That's a given when you call him Lord. 
It's your the yeast plunged into mankind that is the loaf. And the king's influence, his sphere of rule, is supposed to increase everywhere you go. How about that? So are we waiting on the kingdom? Or is the kingdom waiting on us? What a question. I'm not trying to draw any deeper theological inference from that. Don't try to shove me into your boxes, whether it's preterist or millennialist or whatever it is that you might hear and say, what is Eric saying? I'm saying you have a responsibility right now. God is not waiting so that the kingdom can appear. You are waiting for the kingdom to appear in your life. Where? At a bus stop. Where else? At Walmart. At your workplace. What does that mean then if we walk around with frowns on our faces? What does that mean if we walk around depressed and upset all of the time? How about half the time? How much of the kingdom are you willing to give up? 10%? 5%? How many of you want to face God and say, I gave away 1% of your dominion and rule in my life? Too long have we heard that we're all sinners. Too long have we heard it. You know what you need to hear? You are a saint and you are expected to act like one. You are a saint. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and when that's who you are, that's how you should act. No longer do we have the right to grumble. No longer do we have the right to extend hell into someone's life. The testimony about us better be that the king's sphere of influence has extended to us and you can see it in the fruit that are the branches of our lives. That's not for preachers, saints. That's for Christians. Everywhere around us. And you know what your fruit is? Your fruit is the lady that you helped with groceries and it made a difference in her day. Your fruit is the neighbor across the street that nobody talks to because she's foul-mouthed, but you do. Your fruit is the guy that you meet while selling high-interest mortgages, but it changed his life and he's been in love with Jesus ever since. Your fruit is anybody who has become aware of the king's rule and begun to live in a manner that represents it. That's the kingdom now. How cool is that? But wait, Eric, is the kingdom coming? Oh, yes, yes. When the people of God have been obedient on the earth, when every power has been brought into submission to Christ, the kingdom will be complete and the head will descend on the body and it will rule the earth forever and ever and ever. Turn with me to Matthew 6. Keep your finger in Matthew 6. I have about nine more minutes, so I want to read to you a couple things. When the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He said you should pray in this manner. I want to read to you what they were already praying every day. You tell me if you think this sounds legalistic. If you think this sounds like a bunch of Christ killers. Or if you think that this in some way is something less than worthy of the church. And I'll tell you that this is the foundation upon which all Christian thought is based. The prayer life of the Jewish people is what was taught to every one of these Talmudim. It's what was taught to their rabbi. And it's what they did every day. The only reason that it's not expounded upon more is because I didn't tell you that when I woke up today, I put on pants and shoes. It was expected. 
and you could see it in my life. I also didn't tell you that I have a driver's license and a social security number and that I have to eat and that I often turn on lights when I walk into rooms because it was expected. These were Jews and they did what Jews did. And when they asked Jesus, how should we pray? He affirmed it but emphasized the kingdom is coming this way. Listen to the Amadan, and we'll get into the Lord's Prayer. We're going to finish with the Lord's Prayer and we'll all say it together with new meaning. I'm going to start again with the first stanza. By the way, this was read much like in a Methodist church or a Lutheran church recited readings. It's, it's still done this way in synagogues today. The people respond. The origins for it being done this way was so that if there was anyone out there, you ever wondered about recited readings and how they started? This is at least in Judaism, there was a rationale for it. If there was anybody out there that was illiterate, they would not be deprived of hearing God's word. They would not be deprived of affirming it verbally with their speech. They would not be deprived of the chance to be taught. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the great, mighty, and awesome God supreme, who extends loving kindness and is master of all, who remembers the gracious deeds of our forefathers and who will bring the Redeemer with love to their children's children for His name's sake. King, helper, savior, and protector, blessed are you, Lord, protector of Abraham. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Your might is eternal, O Lord, who revives the dead powerful in saving, who makes the wind to blow and the rain to fall, who sustains the living with loving kindness, who revives the dead with great mercy, who supports the failing, heals the sick, frees the captive, and keeps faith with the dead, who is like you, Almighty, and who resembles you, O King, who can bring death and give life. And the people said, Amen. Amen. You are holy. And your name is holy. And those who are holy shall praise you every day. Blessed are you, Lord, the holy God. And the people said, Amen. Amen. You grant knowledge to man and teach understanding to humans. From your own self, favor us with knowledge, understanding, and good sense. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of knowledge. And the people said, Amen. Amen. You grant knowledge to man and teach understanding to humans. Yeah, read that one. Return to us, our Father. Return us, our Father, to your Torah. And draw us closer, our King, to your worship. And bring us back before you in complete repentance. Blessed are you, Lord, who desires repentance. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Are you hearing some of this? Mm -hmm. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Do you hear those overtones? Mm -hmm. Every bit of this is exactly what Jesus says to His disciples. Forgive us, our Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, our King, for we have transgressed. For you are our pardoner and our forgiver. Blessed are you, Lord, the gracious one who forgives abundantly. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Look upon us in our suffering and fight our struggles. Redeem us quickly for the sake of Your great name. For You are a mighty Redeemer. Blessed are You, Lord, Redeemer of Israel. And the people said, Amen. Understand, they're doing this every day, three times a day. This is the hope of Israel. And it speaks of Jesus. 
Heal us, O Lord, and we shall be healed. Save us, and we shall be saved, for you are our glory. Send complete healing for our every illness, for you, divine King, are the faithful, merciful physician. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick of his people, Israel. And the people said, Amen. What about this is legalistic? Hmm. What about this is not grace through faith? Mm -hmm. What about this does not deserve full acceptance among all believers in Yeshua? But most of us have not even heard of it till we've been Christian many, many years. How far we've gone from our roots. Bless this year for us, O Lord our God, and all of its varied produce, that it would be good for you. Provide dew and rain as a blessing on the face of the earth. Satisfy us with your goodness and bless this year like the good years. Blessed are you, Lord, who blesses the years. And the people said, Amen. Might as well have said, give us our daily bread. Huh? Mm -hmm. Sound the great shofar to proclaim our freedom. Lift up the banner for the ingathering of all of the exiles and bring us together from the four corners of the earth. Blessed are you, Lord, who gathers together the dispersed of His people, Israel. And all the people said, Amen. Restore our judges as at first and our counselors as in the beginning, removing from us sorrow and sighing. Rule over us, you and you alone, O Lord, with kindness and mercy, and vindicate us in judgment. Blessed are you, Lord King, who loves righteousness and judgment. And the people said, Amen. On the righteous and the saintly, on the elders of your people, the house of Israel, and on the surviving scholars, on the true proselyte, and on ourselves, let your compassion flow. O Lord our God, grant a good reward to all who sincerely trust in your name. Place our lot with them forever and let us not be shamed. For in you do we trust. Blessed are you, Lord, the support and security of the righteous. And the people said, Amen. If there was eternal security, it would come in focusing your mind each day on things like this. To Jerusalem, your city, return with compassion and dwell within it as you promised. Rebuild it soon in our day as an everlasting structure and speedily establish in the midst the throne of David. Blessed are you, builder of Jerusalem, O Lord. And the people said, Amen. How many Christians do you think would be benefited by realizing that there would be an actual throne of David that must endure forever and one of his descendants sit upon it in Jerusalem forever? How many Christians do you think would be benefited by that? We might not believe some of the crazy fairy tales that have us on other planets playing harps with naked babies if this is what we were taught to pray every day. The offspring of your servant David quickly cause to flourish and lift up his power by your deliverance. For your deliverance do we constantly hope. Blessed are you, Lord, who makes the glory of deliverance to flourish. And the people said... Amen. Hear our voice, O Lord our God. Show compassion and mercy to us. Accept our prayers with mercy and favor for you are a God who hears prayers and supplications. All the people said, Amen. Favorably receive, O Lord our God, your people Israel and their prayer. Restore the worship to your temple in Zion. Receive with love and favor the offerings of Israel and their prayers. And may the worship of your people Israel always be favorably received by you. May our eyes behold your return to Mount Zion in mercy. 
Blessed are you, Lord, who restores high divine presence in Zion. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's one more that I'm going to read you. But here's something that you need to contemplate. I just read you a lot, didn't I? Mm -hmm. Anybody getting tired yet? Mm -hmm. Abby would have this memorized. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't pray, now I lay me down to sleep. She would be praying this three times a day. You know where every line of this comes from? The law and the prophets. How did the Jews memorize the word? How did the Jews faithfully write and transcribe the word? How did they teach it? How was their educational system second to none? Because they taught their children to pray. They taught them to pray the word. They focused their hope on the hope of the Bible. This is why this culture safeguards the promises of God. It's why Paul said to them was given the covenants and the promises and the divine glory and the patriarchs and the human ancestry of Jesus who is God overall. If he had given it to America, it would change with every fad that came through the church. There'd be gold dust barking and angel feathers in this. Their hope has not changed, has not changed for 3,000 years. When the word says those who trust in him will not be put to shame, it's true that you can apply it to you, but it was not written to you first. All of these things will surely come to pass. This is what the church should be looking for. This is the doctrine that should be in our doctrinal statements if we were going to write them, because it is the word. You know what you don't hear in here? Strange Christianese churchy language that means nothing to no one. It impresses theologians in private places, but it does not do anything for the masses. None of what we hold high talks about the kingdom affecting the earth right now, here and now. It's all abstract thought. It's all about warm, fuzzy feelings in faraway places. Do you hear how tangible every one of these things is? It all comes straight from the Word. You give me an hour? All right, truthfully, it'd take three. I could give you a scripture verse for every line I have written or read to you. Last one. We give thanks unto you who are the Lord our God, God of our fathers for all eternity. You are the strength of our lives, the shield of our deliverance. In every generation we shall thank you and declare your praise for our lives that are entrusted in your hand and for our souls that are in your care and for your miracles that are daily with us. And for your wondrous deeds and goodness that occur at all times, evening, morning, and noon. You hear God's influence in their daily lives? You are the benevolent one, for your mercies are never ended. The compassionate one, for your deeds of kindness do not stop. Always have we placed our hope in you. For all this, O our King, may your name be always blessed and exalted forever. All the living will forever thank you and praise your name in truth, O God, our eternal salvation and help. Blessed are you, Lord, whose name is goodness. It is a blessing to give thanks to you. Establish peace, well-being, blessings, grace, loving kindness and mercy upon us and upon all Israel, your people, by the light of your presence that you have given us. O Lord our God, a Torah of life, love, of kindness, justice, blessing, compassion, life, and peace, 
and it is good in your sight to bless your people Israel at all times, at every hour, with your shalom. Blessed are you, Lord, who blessed his people Israel with peace. And all God's people said, Amen. They prayed for the kingdom that is in the heavens to be manifest among the men. There are two realms, one in which his will is always obeyed and one in which it is seldom obeyed. But we have the power to change that in our daily lives, starting now. Jesus, Jesus, how, how do we pray? He said you pray in this manner. This is the manner in which you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom, your sphere of influence, your realm of authority. Come. Your will be done on earth. Your will be done in our realm, the realm of mankind, our sphere of influence, as or in the same manner that it is done in heaven. Do you hear how Jewish that is? Mm -hmm. That is the Amada. He just summarized the whole thing in a couple lines. Our hearts cry the manner in which we should pray is that we be God's hand that helps someone up. That we would be God's hand that feeds a poor person. That we would be God's hand that liberates someone who is oppressed. This is how we pray. It makes you feel a little guilty for praying constantly. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. That is not how Jesus said to pray. Nothing wrong with needing things. Your Father knows that you need them before you ask. And the Word does say you have not because you ask not, so I encourage you to ask. But when asked, how do we pray? He said, you pray that what is recognized readily and obeyed 100% there is done that way on earth. Pray that you have the strength to do that. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one is working in the realm of men. He perverts our desires and he monopolizes the perversion in our desires to make us less than we were called to be. The truth is the realm of men is on a collision course with the realm of God. The kingdom is at hand. The message to all the people in this realm is turn around. Teshuba. Get in the flow of God. Because the good news is what is done and is available in heaven is now done and available on the earth through anyone that recognizes his lordship, his kingship. This is how all things are possible in Christ Jesus. This is how I can do all things. This is how we are more than conquerors. This is the pinnacle upon which all Christian thought should hang. His kingdom, here now, working through your hands, feet, mouths, eyes, and ears. You are the body of Christ. What will we do with it? Will we sit back in Christian selfishness? Will we just sit back and ask that God bless and bless until we're so fat we can't move? Or will we put the kingdom to work? There are some who are forcing their way into it. Luke described it. John the Baptist broke open the way. The king himself walked through it, showing us how to have the kingdom at hand every moment. Will we really walk as he walked? Or will we deceive ourselves with intellectual ascension? 
Church, we're going to perform out there what we've practiced in here. March is a month of missions. You don't have to wait till March. This starts at the gas station. This starts wherever you are. The kingdom is at hand. Your hand. Stand up. Let's pray.